0: All right, so uh, I've taken on a new hobby, and it's called feeding crows, and uh, the crows are letting me know. Isn't it amazing how loud those crows are? Those are crows. They're so loud when they get on our roof, so don't let them fear you. Uh, don't let them frighten you. There's a, you know, a great parable that Jesus teaches about the sower throwing out the seed, and the bird comes and steals it. So don't let the birds steal uh, the Word of God from your heart, but they're mad at me because I didn't feed them this morning. So uh, I'll feed them in between services. All right, who knows what we're celebrating this weekend? Come on. Affirmation Day, you nerds. What else? Halloween, yeah. What's is Halloween worth celebrating? Do you know what we celebrate when we celebrate Halloween? We celebrate that death did not win. It's an important holiday in the life of the church, and we should not let false uh, understandings of what it means to, uh, take away that celebration. F- Halloween is All Hallows' Eve. Uh, it was a celebration day that on every November 1st that, that our loved ones who had died that year, who had been buried that year, they weren't going to spend eternity in the grave. Their spirits had won, and they were going to heaven. And they celebrated one day a year, they would celebrate that, that, that I, the, our loved ones are with Jesus now. All Hallows' Eve is worth celebrating. It's a valuable holiday. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. And the reason why people originally started dressing up was was a way to kind of almost poke fun at Satan. Say, look, you didn't win. We're not scared of you. You didn't win. You thought you won when you you killed my loved one, but you didn't. He's with Jesus now. And and it is uh, a glorious thing to remember. And yes, it is Reformation Day. And uh, Reformation Day, uh, we call it that because of this. There's a, a man named Martin Luther. You've heard of him. And Martin Luther had uh, an incredibly tender conscience. And he was a scholar, is a great, uh, just excellent mind. But he had an incredibly tender conscience. And he was uh, frightened in a thunderstorm. He promised uh, that if, if Saint Anne would, would protect him from the storm, he would go into the ministry. And he, uh, he went into a monastery, and he began doing whatever the church told him. He followed the church way of dealing with his sins. Like I said, he had a tender conscience, and he felt guilty, and he wanted to be, he wanted to be pure before the Lord. He wanted to, have a, to be clean before God. And he was terrified of this, this phrase, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God terrified him. Because whenever he heard of God's righteousness, he, heard of God, he thought of God's justice. That God must punish sin, that He's too pure to look upon sin, and, and sin must be punished. And so Martin Luther followed everything the church told him to become, uh, to, to do penance for his sin, to pay for his sin. But it was never good enough. He would wear the hair shirts, he got the embarrassing haircut, he uh, went to Rome and, and climbed the, the holy stairs that supposedly Jesus had climbed, That uh, and he, he went up every stair on a marble staircase on his knees. With every stair, step he would uh, say the Lord's Prayer, go up to the next one, say the Lord's Prayer, wearing his knees out, wearing his back out with bowing and kissing the steps, and when he finally got to the top he said, well, Who knows if that worked or not? It was just never good enough. And and then as his conscience got more and more clear and he, he read the words of Jesus and realized that it wasn't just enough to be outwardly clean, but he had to be inwardly clean. And then he started wondering, well, am I confessing my sins for righteous reasons? Or am I confessing my sins for unrighteous reasons? Am I doing all this penance out of love for the Lord, or am I doing all this penance because I want to go to heaven? That would be a selfish thing. And so he started confessing that he was confessing. And the the priest would see him coming and would run. They didn't want to hear his confession. It would take too long. And so finally, people started pointing him to the mystics. Look, don't, don't you're not going to get yourself right by, by doing good works. You, you just got to love the Lord. You got to be in this mystical, loving relationship with God. And and so he, he tried that route, and he just loved God, but was it sincere enough? Was his was his love for God sincere, or was his love for God selfish? Was his love for God because because he loved God for who he was, or was he loving God so that he could get saved? That would be selfish, and it was never enough, and and he was really on the on the border of of going into a manic depression, a clinical type depression, and uh, and his bishop who oversaw him, uh, told him he needed to start teaching to get his mind focused on the Word of God. And he, he taught it through the Psalms, and he started to, to begin to see God's grace in the Psalms. And then he was, had to teach a, a semester on uh, Romans, and he couldn't get past verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of this good news, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And he just couldn't understand how this righteousness, this message of judgment, of justice, of God being so pure that he couldn't look upon sin, how could that be good news? How could that be good news? And he studied it, and he studied the entirety of the book, and he came to uh, Romans 4, where it talks about Abraham. Uh, he says, in Romans 4, Paul says, you know, if you work and you earn something, that it's not a gift. You get what you're paid. But Abraham was given righteousness because of his faith. And Luther came back to, to chapter 1, and he says he, he understands that the righteousness of God is the gift. The righteousness of God is what he gives us. and We receive that by grace through faith. And he says uh, if he felt as if heaven itself had opened to him and, and the, his shackles had fallen off and he was free and, and his entire life became one of, of, of joy and of freedom and of hope. And he said, I, I was no longer the justice of God the righteousness of God no longer filled me with hatred, but became unspeakably sweet by virtue of a great love. Unspeakably sweet. And he realized that, that the church wasn't teaching that, and so he went to the to the uh, door of the church, and he nailed these uh, these points of, of debate up, the first one being when... When our Lord Jesus calls us to repent, he means that all of life should be a repentance. And he nailed it there, and nobody cared. Nothing happened. But then, a few years later, the prince, he had an idea for a new tax. He was going to start getting people to give him money by uh, teaming up with the pope. And the pope was going to sell people indulgences to get their family members out of purgatory and And then, uh, so 50% would go to the prince and 50% would go to the pope. And uh, Martin Luther added that one to his points of debate and said, you can't do that. Now, we started arguing with the pocketbook. That made people mad. And so on October 31st of 1517, the Reformation began. And we do celebrate that today, and I want you to celebrate it today. And I want you to ask yourself the question, how do you actually become righteous before God how do you become righteous before God and the answer is by resting and receiving and rejoicing in the righteousness he gives us in Christ we become righteous before God as we receive rest and rejoice in the righteousness he gives us before Christ. Please stand as we, as we read this great text from Galatians 3. It's really the heart of Galatians 3. It's the heart of the gospel. We're going to stay here as long as it takes. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit Through faith. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. The gospel way of righteousness. The gospel way of righteousness is to receive, rest in, and rejoice in the righteousness that's given us in Christ. The righteousness that's given us in Christ. It's not the foolish way. Paul says the fool tells us the foolish way once again. He says, he says, you you receive the, the Spirit through faith. You think you're going to perfect it through works, through your effort? That would start. You began by faith. You're going to perfect it by works. Is that really what you think? Are you that foolish? And the answer is yeah. <laughs> We're that foolish. That's what we assume. Of course, it's, of course it's up to me. Uh, of course, it's, it's going to be by what I do that I, I become uh, perfected. I, I, how else am I going to do it? And that betrays all kinds of misunderstandings. First of all, though, we've we got to start here. Have you begun by the Spirit? The, the Apostle Paul assumes that, and we talked about that last week, and I'm not going to go so deep into it this week. But I do want to at least ask you the question, have you begun by the Spirit? He, he assumes it here, right? Uh, but have you? If, if this all doesn't make sense to you, if you just kind of come to church because that's what good people do, and you kind of, you know, you got up early this morning, it's fall, and you went to bed early last night. Actually, you didn't go to bed early last night. You were very disappointed uh, that Halloween wasn't everything you had imagined. And you uh, woke up this morning you thought, well, maybe if I go to church, I'll feel better but you don't really get it you don't get this this conscience before god thing you don't get this feel you don't understand when, when martin luther says he felt the gates of heaven open up to him and, and what was once a hatred for god's righteousness became this inexpressible love you don't you don't get it it's like it's like it's like texas a&m football are there are any texas a&m people in here we're going to talk about you you know that most of us, and by most of us I mean the rest of humanity, think of Texas A&M as the biggest cult in the country. Because they get to the football stadium at midnight the night before a game so they can practice their yells. Is that right? That's what cults do, people. <laughs> and uh, and I've, I've, I've talked long with, uh, with a friend of mine about this and he just finally smiled and he said, if you're inside, you can't explain it. And if you're outside, you can't understand it. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay, well, that is a lot like what the Holy Spirit is like. And I, I'm sorry to have to use something so pathetic as football to explain that, especially Texas AM and m football. But, um, but it's true. I mean, if you're in the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you know it. And you're different. And God is not someone you fear anymore. And he's someone you love. And, and, and His law is not something you hate anymore. It's something you want to keep. You, wanna, you want to be right. It's just who you are. You're different. And you just know that. And, and if you're not in it, then everything seems quaint and cute. Kind of like Halloween. All these sweet little Christians dressing up in their masks. But you don't get it. And I want you to understand that the way you get it, the way you begin by the Spirit, is by asking. Just ask. God's not stingy with His Spirit, but you're not going to earn it from Him. You're not going to beat it out of Him. You're not going to make Him owe you. You just ask Have you begun with the Spirit? And if you've begun by the Spirit, are you trying to protect, perfect yourself by works? If you've begun with by faith, are you trying to perfect yourself by works? That's what we do, right? I mean, our, most of our mentality is we sinned, we blew it, we ruined everything. Jesus came in and set us back up. We were a turtle on its back. We had no choice. We were just there just waving our legs in the air. And Jesus came and set us back right and now it's our job to finish the race and Jesus is there if I fall again but I really hope I don't need him and and that's just terribly wrong it's foolish it's foolish because this this idea of of perfecting ourselves by works it's like trying to you know construct this rickety ladder of of you know giving enough to the offering plate and and uh, you know, helping the poor and all these good things. Praying enough. Getting up early in the morning. Confessing my oh, sins. I'm going to do everything right. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to go visit my grandmother. Uh, I'm going to do all those things that I don't want to do because that's what Christians ought to do. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to teach Sunday school and I'm going to change diapers in the nursery. I'm going to do all those things because that's what Christians ought to do. And I'm going to perfect this. And those people out there who say those people out there who say that that it's all by grace, they just don't take sin very seriously. We know that that righteousness comes by rules, and we're going to keep the rules. And those people out there who say that the rules don't really matter, they don't help. They don't take sin seriously. And, do you understand why I would say that? I want you to understand this. If you think you can perfect yourself by effort, you don't take sin seriously at all. You think this deep cancer within your soul called selfishness can be, can be kept at bay by your effort? If you just decide you're not going to do it again You think that's all you have to do? You don't take sin seriously at all. If you take sin seriously at all, you know there's nothing you can do to stop it. You can't fix yourself. You can't. I know. I I decided one time I was going to fix myself. I'd I'd been in the same job for six years. I was bored with it. And started applying. I got turned down for 13 jobs in 10 months. And finally, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, there's a there's a book called uh, "In God We Trust, but All Others Pay Cash." And uh, he talks about going on a blind date once, and his friend had to talk him into it because, you know, like I don't, he didn't need a blind date. I can get my own dates. But, uh, you know, this sweet girl, I guess she can't get dates, so I'll go out with her because, you know, she needs a date. And So he picks her up, and his uh, his, his only jacket, is bright orange leisure suit coat, and his dad's only tie that had a little girl in a hula skirt on it. And she doesn't want anything to do with him, really. She doesn't want to talk to him, and she gets on the... They, they get on the train and there's you know room and the seats on the train are big enough for three people and she goes and sits with her two friends leaving him to sit by himself and he looks up and he sees a, a an ad for breath mints and the ad says do you offend and he realizes oh no I'm the blind date I'm the blind date I mean, have you ever, if you found, that's what sins is, right? You kind of look at yourself, and you say, I'm going to make myself better, and I'm going to stop feeling this way, and I'm going to stop doing those things. And then you realize you're the blind date. You are the problem, and you can't fix you. Because everything you touch, you get all over you. And then all you can do is lay there and receive Christ's love. You, It's foolish to think you're going to finish it by your effort. It's just such a bigger problem than you think it is. It's foolish because earning God's smile is would take everything you could possibly do. would take everything you could possibly do, and and at best, you'd have to do it again tomorrow. I, I ran across this quote this morning. I was, I don't know, the first thing I do when I wake up is the wordle, and then I look at the headlines, and for whatever reason, Matthew Perry's in the news today. But he was talking about his addiction and how it got started, and he said it started by dating Julia Roberts. I don't think he's blaming her, but it's interesting. Dating Julia Roberts, everybody's dream, right? Well, guys' dreams. Uh, He said, dating Julia Roberts was too much for me. I had been constantly certain that she was going to break up with me. Why wouldn't she? I was not enough. I could never be enough. I mean, Matthew Perry understands that he, by his efforts, he's never going to be enough for Julia Roberts. Do you understand that by your efforts, you're never going to be enough for Jesus? You could do everything right. You would never be enough. At best, you'd have to do it again tomorrow. At best. It's foolish to think we're going to do it ourselves. And, and, it's, and the problem with trying to do it ourselves is we have to tear it back down. What does Paul say in chapter 2? He says... If I rebuild what I tore down, what's he talking about when he says he tore it down? He's talking about all of his righteousness by works. He's talking about this life of keeping the law, this life he describes in Philippians chapter 3, when he says, when it comes to the law, I was blameless. I was perfect. And I look back on all that stuff now, and I just think it's trash. You have to tear it down, and that's hard. It's hard to look at all your efforts to, to be the kind of person that a Christian ought to be, and all your efforts to please God with you, with your works and tear them down. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I grew up on a highway. I mean, when I say I grew up on a highway, like, I didn't realize how small my yard was until I saw y'all's yards, and I was like, "Oh, people, that's what they're supposed to look like." And so, uh, like, if this were my front porch. The highway between Dresden and Palmersville, much traveled, um, would be like where that wall is. I mean, it was just right there. And therefore, I got a new dog every year. Um, sorry, it, just, that's, it, it was what it was. And uh, But one year, we decided this is going to be the last dog, and so we actually built a pen for her, and we needed to build our dog house because usually dogs lived up under our house. That's where dogs live, but uh, if you want it to not get run over on the highway, you have to build a pen for it, which means it's out in the rain, so you got to build a doghouse for it. And my brother didn't want to help me build a doghouse at the very second I wanted to build one. So I got out, and I went and found uh, these this siding, this white press board siding. They were 12 feet. It was 12 feet uh, long, and I got a pruning saw, which is not for cutting siding, and I cut it into uh, one... Two, three, five equal pieces. Did the measuring, cut into five equal pieces. Took days. Cut my fingers up, but I got it done. And then, with using no frame, I just kind of got the nails to go through one side and into the into the width of the other side. And so, using nails and siding, I built and I worked and I worked and I worked. And I I built a doghouse for my dog, and I got this little piece of trim board, and I wrote princess on it in in model paint, and I nailed that to the front. And I stood back, and I looked on the ugliest, most useless doghouse that's ever been built by humans. It was never going to survive the slightest wind. It was not going to keep my dog dry from any rain, would not keep her warm in any way. And I was stuck. I was stuck because I had a dog that needed a doghouse. And I had worked so hard on this piece of junk. And if she's going to get a doghouse, i got to tear it down. And some of us feel stuck. We spend decades of our lives trying to get God's pleasure, trying to get... Him on our side, trying to do the right things, trying to be the right kind of boy, trying to be the right kind of girl that, that gets God's approval, and it's all failed. And now we're being told that the very desire to do that on our own is a, is a sinful desire. And, and if we want God's righteousness, if we want the righteousness of Christ, it's right there. But we have to tear our own down. We have to look at everything we've worked so hard for and say it was useless. And that's hard. It's hard. And that's why it's foolish to think we can do it on our own. But if we're willing to tear it down, (laughs) if we're willing to say it's useless, the good news is that all we have to do is receive the righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness imputed to us. How does Paul describe it? He says... Just as Abraham believed, verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Romans, In Romans 4, which Paul is writing about the exact same idea, but he's had more time to kind of reflect on it and think about it. And in verse 5 he says, To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does that mean? It means God takes the righteousness of Christ and puts it on your account so that when he sees you, he sees his son's righteousness. You, you do understand it, as weird as it sounds, right? Like right now, we got this, cars. One, one looks like they're about to drive off the cliff, like Thelma and Louise. Um, I thought y'all would laugh at that. Never mind. They're not really going to drive off the cliff. Um, and I've never seen Thelma and Louise, so I don't know what it's about. Okay, so... You know, you're looking at that, right? Now, what are you looking at? You're looking at a white screen. If I turn the projector off, I can show you. It's a white screen. I know. I've seen it many times. But that's not what you see, right? You see the car. You see the road. You see the words because that's being projected upon the screen. In the same way, God projects Christ's righteousness upon us. And we say, "But well, that's weird. That's fake. You're saying he doesn't really see me. No, he sees you but he sees you in Christ. Your faith has joined you to him. Oh, that's weird, Ricky, come on. It's not that weird. I've done it twice in the last few years. I've got two sons who've taken on daughter-in-laws. He's complete strangers to me. I don't know anything about them. But now when I see them I love them. They're important people in my life. They're some of the most important people in my life. I absolutely love them. Why? Because I've imputed my love for my sons upon them. I love them because they love my sons. I've imputed their righteousness to them. That's why I love them. In the same way, because you're in Christ, God the Father looks upon you and He sees the righteousness of Christ. And the, and the question for us, I, I want this to be important to you. This is the center. I want you to experience this freedom that we're trying to, to talk about this semester in order for you to experience it. In order for you to know this freedom, this joy, you have to believe that. And it's hard for us to believe that the righteousness of Christ is on us. It's hard to believe. Um, there's a story... That, from the French Revolution, the post-French Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars that followed the French Revolution. And uh, a man was out, a soldier, a foot soldier, was out and he found a horse and he immediately recognized the horse as Napoleon's horse. And so he goes and he finds the emperor and he says, Emperor, your horse. And, And Napoleon mounts back up on his horse and he looked at the soldier and he said, Thank you, Captain. The man immediately went back to his tent and started packing up his stuff. And his friend said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm moving into officer's quarters. And his friend said, but you're a private. And he said, the emperor thinks I'm a captain, so I'm a captain. Can you have that conversation with yourself? When you're condemning yourself? When your self-conscious comes to you and says, you idiot. Can you look at yourself and go, God thinks I'm righteous. I am righteous. I did that Thursday. I was right outside that wall. And I was walking and I was thinking about a good friend of mine who's gotten a lot of accolades and opportunities. He's gone to Asia and he's gone to Europe to preach. And he and I, we grew up right beside each other and, and in the ministry. And we've always... We're the same age, and we've gone done the same type things. We did our UF together. We planted churches at the same time, and and all this just yucky, like venom, jealousy started just pouring out, and then came all the self condemnation. You know, like what are you? Why are you doing that? Why are you thinking like that? That's not you. That's gross, man. You not grown more than that? And I just I stopped. I literally stopped because I was about to cross the street, but I stopped. And I said, I'm in Christ. My Father is smiling at me right now. I rested in Christ's righteousness. And I began to rejoice in Christ's righteousness. I I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be loved more right now. Everything I have, I have because the Father in heaven smiles at me. He loves me because I'm in Christ. And as we do that, we continue to grow in righteousness. It's, righteousness is not only accounted to us, but it, it's put within us. And, and I'll tell you more about that next week. But for now, I want you to know that freedom. I want you to know that joy, that joy that comes from resting in the smile of God, from receiving the smile of God, from rejoicing in it. Because you're in Christ. You couldn't be better. Please pray with me, Father. For your children in here who are truly in Christ by faith, I, I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they would would enjoy that today, Father. For those who are beating themselves up for not being better fathers or husbands or mothers or daughters or wives or or not being more successful in their jobs or just not being something. I pray they would put that nonsensical voice away and remember that they are in Christ and they have your smile. And I pray that your smile would be important to them, that it would be real to them, that it would be life to them. And Father, for those who just... um, They just don't get it. They just don't understand it. Who are on the outside. Father, I pray that today would be the day they finally stop trying to improve their life through church and they actually receive your spirit. I pray they would ask you for it. And come into Christ for the first time. Jesus we pray. Amen.